Hi, welcome to After the Crisis with Victoria. On this podcast, we talk about stress, trauma, plain old bad days, and how those events impact the way in which we walk through the world. Everyone needs to be heard, and I am here to listen. Together, we will find realistic, healthy ways to turn our setback into a comeback. If you're a person who has ever endured difficult times, which have left you feeling disconnected from your authentic self, a little bruised, or even a little broken, this podcast is for you. Welcome to After the Crisis with Victoria. My name is Victoria English Martin. I am very honored to have you listening today, and I'm especially honored to have this incredible guest, Mimi Novik, all the way from across the pond. She's over in England and has been gracious enough to be a guest on my podcast. And I would like you all to give her a warm welcome. Hello, Mimi. Hello, Victoria. How are you? I'm great. It's so nice to chat with you. Mimi and I connected a couple of weeks ago and had a wonderful chat last week. She told me a little bit about her story and I was just blown away by her resilience, her tenacity, her internal fire to do good and share goodness in the world. She has had tremendous challenges in life, but has had deep spiritual awakenings as a result of those challenges. I asked her if she has a favorite tagline or quote that might describe her. And she said, when we think it's the end of the road is when we learn to fly. That certainly resonated with me. And I'm sure it resonates with many of you who have gone through difficult times or maybe going through a difficult time right now. That at the end of the road, when things look dark, that is when we have a chance to really spread our wings and find our flight in our journey. And it can be a beautiful one. Mimi, if you don't mind, I'll just have you share a little bit about your background and your story and I'll leave it to you now. Okay, Victoria, thank you. That was such a lovely description. I'm very humbled now and I've got a little bit shy, I have to say. But thank you so much. That was very, very lovely. Thank you. And it's really an honor and a real pleasure to share these moments with you because really I do feel like we are somehow part of a tribe of kindred spirits that are out there in the world at the moment, for sure. I agree. We are a movement. Yes. And really what it is, is that through my work that I do, which is an author and a writer and I do life coaching, but I also do therapy and voiceovers with my own guided meditations. It's really come about through an experience, a real hardship in my life, Mm -hmm. as I've had a lot of health issues since a child, in fact. So in a way, I had to grow up very, very quickly. When you are faced with your own sort of mortality, I think a lot of things come into place where you probably wouldn't have thought about them before or even considered, especially as a child would. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure you can relate to that in some way. I can. I went through my health crisis in my 40s, as you know. I was diagnosed Mm -hmm. with breast cancer at 48 or 47. I don't remember anymore. But you were just a child. So can you tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about what happened when I believe you told me you were only seven years old? So just beginning Mm -hmm. to lose your baby teeth and you were faced with something that 
most adults would shy away from and be afraid of. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I was always a very sensitive child with regards emotionally also, but I think that comes sort of hand in hand on a physical because I always had asthma since I was born. So I had to be careful, you know, I couldn't do the sort of normal things that children do, which is run and play, really, because my parents were very protective of me purely for that reason. But I was a bit of a free spirit. I regained that, I have to say, happily. (laughs) Uh, It didn't really sort of keep me a prisoner in that way. Mm -hmm. I fought for that. And I still do, you know, until this day. I developed pneumonia. And I was abroad visiting my mum's family. And it escalated really within 48 hours. I'd got a cold. I'd I'd had my feet had got wet because I wanted to wear these sandals. And typical British weather, it was raining in the summer, you know. uh And my feet had got wet. And this wasn't a big thing for most children. But for me, it was a big thing because I was so sensitive. And Uh within 48 hours, we had to travel abroad. And the doctor said, well, you know, you can go. It's a risk. But I think you're going to be fine. And I remember it clearly. So we went on this plane and I felt fine because there was no way that I wasn't going to go on a plane. It was my first plane journey. Right. And to cut a long story short, we arrived. As soon as I arrived, I became very sick. I had a very, very high fever. I couldn't breathe. So I think also in the aeroplane, it wasn't the best conditions for this. Certainly. And we were supposed to be there for a month. We ended up being there for several months, for three months, because what had happened, I got pneumonia, but I had such a severe pneumonia that it became a shadow on my lung. Mm. So they said, this is very much touch and go. She has to be hospitalized. There was no way that I wanted that to happen. I was petrified. And they said, the other thing that you can do is you can have very strong medication, but she has to lie in her bed in darkness and to have five injections a day. At seven years old. At seven years old. So they agreed. And this went on for three weeks. And Victoria, I wasn't getting any better. Mm. In fact, I was getting worse. How scary. So my mum's grandmother, which is my great-grandmother, was a healer. Mm -hmm. And she was a very, very wise lady. And my mum was at her wit's end and she said, you know, what are we going to do? I remember these conversations. And she said, this child's going to die unless she comes to me, leave her with me. Mm. And somehow I was very, very open. You know, it was the first time that I'd met her, but I was very, very willing. She took me into her care and I was there for about a month and a half. And she healed me, Victoria, with traditional herbal medicine. Mm. Nothing else had worked. But Mm. she herself, knowing all the wisdom of traditional healers, Mm -hmm. managed to do it. That I actually was able to get up and walk because I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk, I had no energy. But that time was one of the most important times of my life because it was at that time that I started to become aware of spirituality. Mm -hmm. Our bodies are merely vessels. And I was very young to become aware of this. But 
I suddenly saw that I had this body and, you know, you feel in your mind, you can fly to the moon. Yes. But actually, you know, physically you can't do it. And that sort of realization and that sort of awakening was really the first step towards my journey of where I am now. Mm. And then another 10 years of, I wasn't allowed at all to get any sort of chest infection. So I was constantly on antibiotics. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't easy, I have to say. You know, you always feel different. Right. And I can imagine your parents were probably very impacted by that terrible health scare. Mm -hmm. And did you find that they were extremely protective, very cautious of everything you did? Yes, they were extremely protective. And Although they meant well, and, you know, I love them mm-hmm. for it, mm-hmm. it. If I wasn't the type of character that I was, I would have probably become very, very scared. But right. I fought against it. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, you know, I can't allow this to stop my life. Right. And when we came back from abroad, I started a new school and I was bullied because I couldn't swim, I couldn't, all the normal, you know, the normal things that children do. So they took, you know how children are, and adults, sometimes it is just the way of human nature, you know, when they they see someone a little bit weaker sometimes, even in the animal world, they have this feeling to, maybe because they themselves are going through something, that they feel that they need to have this sort of superior look on somebody, and they bullied me for a year. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was very difficult. But through it, I then decided to take up martial arts. Wonderful. Yes. So what age did you begin martial arts? Nine. Oh, wow. I know. I know. Through all of this and through somehow. um, But this was my way because I'd always been fascinated. My father was a a black belt in Mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu. So I was always fascinated with the Orient and dragons and things because he used to tell me stories of which, you know, I totally believed, of course. But it was something that was like a light for me, you know, to give someone focus right. that you can achieve something. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what background. It doesn't matter who you are. There is always that focus that can actually help pull someone out of the gutter in a way. That's incredible resilience and fortitude for a nine-year-old. Mm. Yeah, I suppose now that you said it, I never really thought about it. Yeah, it's okay to look back at little you and say, wow, you go girl. That's amazing. (laughs) That's great. I know. And I think now that you've said it, because for me, it was such a normal thing. Right. Now that you've made me aware, I will actually think about that now. I suppose it was. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Now tell me, when we spoke last week, you mentioned Mm -hmm. another turning point in your life. I believe you were 19 years old. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. I was training to be a therapist and I always wanted to run my own sanctuaries. I felt that how I was when I was with my great-grandmother, this peace and tranquility, she had this farm, which was really magical. Mm. And I thought, well, this is where I healed. There must be a way for me to do this in my life. It was always in my sort of subconscious in a way, but also in my conscious self that I had to help people. It was always something within me. It was innate inside of me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do some courses in alternative health or complementary, however people would like to Mm -hmm. consider it. 
So I started to do courses in reflexology, in herbalism, also in acupuncture. And I wanted to do it privately so that I could finish it more quickly mm-hmm. and it would be a better sort of education. You know, when you go to a private college, there's there's, there's less people there and yeah. they can give a focus, you know, more to mm-hmm. the students. So I started to do that and I went to work in an office just part-time during my studies to earn some money because mm-hmm. I became fiercely independent. I think after everything I'd been through, it was like I had this independence this streak within me that was the fire really that you spoke about earlier Mm -hmm. I didn't like it I didn't like it and it wasn't for me and I developed a virus I didn't know at the time but I woke up one morning and I couldn't move oh my gosh how terrifying I've had a lot of terrifying moments, but I have to say it was in the top three of my life. First of all, I couldn't see anything and I couldn't move. You're 19 and you can't move. That's right. This is definitely the podcast for you after the crisis. I would say... (laughs) After a few crises after. Yes, I guess. Mm. Okay, so you wake up, you can't see, you can't move. So what had happened before, I remember going to town And I'd come out of a pizzeria. I remember that. And I had a very, I don't know if it's a premonition, but I had a very strange feeling. And I had somehow it was, it was a feeling that my life was going to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This was on the Saturday. I remember this so clearly. And on the Sunday night is when this happened. And it must have been a few hours like this because I was fighting. And I remember feeling this fight inside of me and not to give up. Because at this point, I could have given up. Mm-hmm. And in a way, it was like fighting for my life because I really didn't know what had happened to me. So it must have been several hours because when my mum had come into my room at that point and I was living at home, she came in and all I could do was open my eyes and I saw her and I just said, I can't move. Oh my gosh. And she's one of those people who are warriors of life you know she never lets life get her down and you know if there's a problem there's always some sort of solution we're not going to focus on the problem and and she said you have to get up you know what are you talking about and I said I can't move I had tears I remember so she called my dad they helped me I couldn't feel my legs Victoria I couldn't feel anything oh my gosh somehow they carried me down the stairs and I said I can't feel anything but This was the strange thing. I couldn't feel anything in my legs, but the pain in my head and in my body was the most excruciating you could ever imagine. It was like arrows. And the only thing I can liken, it's like having your skin ripped off with electric. It was neurological. Yes. Pain is extremely painful. Yes. Hard to describe, but I think you just did a good job of helping us imagine it. And this didn't let up. This was 24 hours a day. So I couldn't go anywhere. So they called the doctor out and he said, I really don't know. He was our general practitioner, who was also a friend of the family. And he said, I really don't know what's happened here. We've got to do tests to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then he stopped and he said, Although I think I do know, he said, I think you've had some sort of a viral attack on your nervous system. And this is the strange thing. And he said, I don't want you to be a guinea pig, an experiment. 
mm-hmm. for the doctors, I think you just need to stay at home. Hmm. And my parents were a bit shocked about this. And to this day, I'm speechless about that point. And he said, but we do need to get you to physio. We need to get you some electrical therapy. We need to check your nerves. And that's when it all began to the orthopedic surgeon. So we did have to do all of that. And I could do nothing. You know, the most basic of needs I couldn't do. And how long did this go on? You said... A year. A year. So you had to relearn to walk? Mm-hmm. Relearn all of your motors? Yes, everything. Everything. And I remember I was reading a book at the time, and you know the author Norman Vincent Peale? Yes. You can if you think you can. And this was a turning point of you can if you think you can. And I thought, I have to get up. I have to do this. I couldn't take painkillers and I couldn't take anti-inflammatories or any sort of drugs that the doctors had recommended because of the allergies. So I had to live through this pain day in, day out, in the night. It was really horrific, Victoria. It was very, very horrific. And then slowly they gave me exercises, you know, and it was really sheer determination. You know, I think a divine intervention for sure. I believe this greatly that I'm here and that I am, thank God, able to walk because I wouldn't have been able to do it. And this is where the Healing Breath Peaceful Soul Mm -hmm. exercises that I have devised came in because it was only my own way of breathing, my own resilience that I was able really to get through it. Mm -hmm. Well, you told me during our chat last week that at one point during your many crises, you heard a voice that told you, go and help the people. Yes. You have certainly listened to that voice. You know what happened afterwards? I think I told you is when I had an anaphylactic shock. Yes. So once I sort of got over this, although this has left me with a disability where I can't carry heavy things, I can't do the normal day-to-day in the zest and the vigor that, that most people can, mm-hmm. because I'm still in pain every day. It's just various degrees of the pain. I can relate to that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as we were saying earlier, we need to know what our limits are. And although we are limitless, we're limitless as souls, but as a body, we still have to respect these vessels that we're traveling in. We have to and nurture them. I appreciate that. I love what you just said. As I recover from the torturous treatment I went through to... Mm -hmm saved my life as cancer yes. tried to kill me. I was extremely athletic, very fit, felt unlimited in what I could do physically, but often I was trapped in the confines of my own mind. And now as I recover from treatment, and as you know, part of my inspiration for doing this podcast is yes. after the crisis, people assume that when we're finished with cancer treatment, that all is well. And thankfully, many things are well. We're hopefully cancer-free, but Mm -hmm. uh, cancer survivors do struggle with a lot of side effects, physical, mental, spiritual. And I love what you said about our minds are limitless. And I find that to be the case now that things have shifted. My body does have limitations. I have to manage my energy and decide what is worth my energy today. But my mind through this crisis, has been 
freed. So my mind has no limits anymore. I used to be trapped in it. And Mm. now my body does have limitations, but I honor those limitations. I respect my body. I don't judge it for telling me when it's not enough. So thank you for saying that because that was a light bulb moment for me. (laughs) You're very welcome. And I totally understand you because Mm -hmm. when I had this anaphylactic shock and I nearly died and I was in the ambulance and it it was through eating jellyfish in a restaurant of all things. You you told me. I question your food choices. (laughs) Believe me. So do I. I question my sanity, actually. (laughs) But you know how it is. You know how it is. You want to be adventurous. And it's that thing of, you know, well, let me try it. But, you know, even the thought of it now, I really don't know. It was one of those crazy moments. But somehow I was led to do it. I understand. You know, I have no explanation other than that. So when I had this anaphylactic shock and I was in the ambulance and I said to the ambulance driver, you know, I feel pretty rough. Mm-hmm. And I literally was suffocating and they saved my life. And he said, well, you don't look too bad, actually. You look fine. And I, and I remember thinking, well, you know what? Bless you, really. But I know you're lying, but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, bless you. And bless him, really, because he was so sweet. And we arrived at the hospital and we parked up. And I heard this voice inside of me and, you know, I was very angry, you know, because of this thing of, that had happened to me. And I was very angry because I thought, what am I doing, you know, back here? This is just nonsense. You know, when I saw the world again, after I'd had this anaphylactic shock, it seemed a little bit pointless. And the voice said to me, now go and help the people. Mm. When you were about when to I was up. about to give up, and I thought this is just nonsense. And you know, you have those moments mentally oh, when you've been through this dream of physical and mental and an emotional and spiritual tension and this catalyst of fire in a way. Mm-hmm. And I had this conversation, and I with this voice, and I said, "Is it because I didn't see enough trees or?" people or flowers or sunrises or sunset what is it it's enough and the voice said but you haven't seen it with these eyes now go and help the people serve the people love the people Mm. you haven't seen it with these eyes Mm. and we do come out of these things with fresh eyes yes Mm -hmm. and yours were enlightened not darkened and do you believe victoria that We've always had that vision and it was blurred. Or do you think it really is sort of a new light through old windows, as they say? I think that we are created to see with those eyes of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And like we said before we began recording, we were talking about boundaries. I love what you said about a visa for people and energy and experiences (laughs) to enter our world where we live. So I think we are born with those eyes of enlightenment, but unfortunately, through experiences of life, sometimes those mm-hmm. are darkened. And as we've both said, there is a choice. There is a choice when you go through a crisis, and everyone has been through them. And mm-hmm. it's normal, I believe, to absorb some of the darkness and have those moments. And then there's a fork in the road where you must choose. Yeah. I think that's a very good explanation. And I think it's a beautiful statement, you know, eyes of enlightenment. How beautiful is that? A fork in the road where you must choose. 
some really powerful stuff from part one of my conversation with Mimi Novak. Now, next episode, I will have part two with Mimi, where we will discuss some of the things she is doing now as she is moving forward from all she has endured in the past. Listeners, thank you for being here. You can find Mimi's information in the show notes for this episode. I look forward to you joining us again on After the Crisis with Victoria. Have a blessed day. Thanks for listening to After the Crisis with Victoria. For more about me, how I can serve your needs, and links to our special guests, please subscribe to this podcast and visit victoriaenglishmartin.com. Also, come on over to our free Facebook group and join our community after the crisis with Victoria. I'm offering access to fun, healthy, and thought-provoking content. Additionally, you'll find exclusive programs, workshops, and one-on-one coaching. Until next time, count your blessings, not your burdens. And remember, there is life after the crisis.